Well, good evening, everyone. How are you doing? Here for another night, walking through our Supernatural series. I, I hope you're ready. If you're out in the lobby, go ahead and make your way in, because we're going to get started. And uh, just we're going to do what we always kind of do in the beginning. We want to give you a recap of kind of where we've been. So we're going to talk a little bit through what we did last Sunday, um, talking through um, prophecy. So, so Pastor Lance spent a bit of time walking through pro prophecy and talking about the history of how God has spoken to mankind and how natural it is for God to communicate using his people. And he spent some time walking us through that and how that's part of God's nature and that God is still speaking today. And then he also talked a bit about what modern-day prophecy looks like because it is different than Old Testament prophecy. Um, there's different components. There's different facets. And now it's primarily about building up his church. It's about what we're supposed to be doing in accordance to God's purposes. And so now we have to go into modern-day prophecy, and we're hearing and sifting on a new level. And so Lance kind of talked about three things on that. First, he said that we learn how to hear from God more in our lives, right? So we're doing it first for what is God saying to us? What is God speaking to us? Then we're also learning how to share messages from God in a healthy and a safe manner, right? Because it's not often the, the issue of what God is telling us to say. It's our method. It's our approach. And so Pastor Lance walked through that quite a bit as well. And then also, how do you discern if a message is from God or not? Which a lot of us know how that feels because you hear something or you think something and you're trying to discern, you're trying to figure it out. Is that my brain? Is that God? What, you know? And he walked through that quite a bit. And that took him into a little bit shorter sections talking about words of knowledge because that's one of the terms that sometimes you'll see with how prophecy comes out, and also kind of touched lightly on tongues versus prayer language and kind of what scripture has to say about that. Now this week, um, our last week together, this is the end. It's the end, you know? And so, I mean, you can come every Sunday night and we can just keep talking about something, but, uh, but this is the end. And, uh, and so this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Tonight, we're going to be kind of getting into the more unusual or weird supernatural experiences and elements that you see sometimes happening, not only in scripture, but in our churches nowadays. And so Pastor Lance wants to walk through those and unpack those with that. And then how to see, how do we balance that with the tools and the guidelines for making sure that things are healthy and safe in the church, right? Because there's stuff that's unfamiliar. There's stuff that's odd to us because of our exposure. But then how do we make sure that anything that we feel God is leading us to do is building up the church body, and is following those tools and guidelines. And so Pastor Lance will be walking through that um, throughout the entire night here. And then a couple other just logistical pieces. One is um, we're going to be adding some more supplemental teaching to come with this because there is so much material, right, that we don't even get a chance to get to, right, because there's so many passages and there's so much teaching and there's so much detail we want to get into that we can't fully address it all within the allotted time that we're doing here and for these videos. So we're going to be adding some supplemental teachings. We don't know what format just yet, but taught by both Pastor Lance and some of our other leaders here in the church to kind of expand on some stuff that we didn't get time to get into. And that's stuff that will be added to the videos that we're putting together that are going to be available for next year. Because um, we we want to make sure that everybody gets all this excellent information and gets it into their hands. And so tonight we're going to go the full two hours straight. So get ready, empty your bladders, and then we'll get into this. But if you're ready to go, I think he's ready to go. So if you're enjoying this series, welcome with me, Pastor Lance Hahn to the stage. Man. 
Ah, it's going to be a good time. You ready to do this? Yeah. All right, here we go. God is not human. God is not American. God is not denominational. God is not afraid of anyone or anything. God is deity. That means that God is holy. The word holy means altogether different. He is not like anyone. He is not like anything that we have here. He is high and lifted up and completely separate from our world. And God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. How do we know that? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In the same way, Isaiah 40, verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. It's one thing to be unknowable, but if you can't even search, <laughs> right? It's not that you can't find the answer. You can't even start the search. He is that far different than who we are. Therefore, God cannot nor will not remain in our categories, in our boxes. That's very important to understand. We cannot demand that God limit himself entirely to fit within our frameworks or what we deem to be good, healthy, and beneficial. One of my favorite uh, engagements with mankind that God did, and in my opinion, I believe that this was Jesus pre-incarnate. I believe that it's the second person of the Trinity, uh, but that's just my own bias. Uh, but it was the day that Joshua went out into the desert before they were going to go and fight Jericho. They were just going to begin the conquest, and this is what happened. Joshua 5, 13 through 15, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, nope. I'm the commander of the army of Yahweh. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What I love about that is that in his estimation, there was two sides. There's us and our enemies. Which side are you on? And God just blows the entire thing out of the water. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't play by your rules. I don't fit into your categories. I'm totally different. Therefore, the question is, are you on my side? Because I'm not on anybody's side, I'm on my side, right? So we need to allow God to be who he is. And God may not be, nor he may not do what you think he does. God is, in our terms, weird. But that doesn't mean he's not good. And although his ways are just as weird, it doesn't mean they aren't healthy and beneficial. They are. Therefore, our two goals for today are to talk about how odd God really is and to talk about some of the things that get a little bit crazy, manifestations, the demonic, things like this. We're going to be talking about the things that 
many times rattle folks and, and they say, well, that must be bad because it's unusual or that must be uh, wrong because I don't know anything about it. We're going to talk about that and then we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the 21 core values at Bridgeway about how to keep things healthy because our bottom line is we just want everything about God and nothing that's not God. That's how it works. Therefore, I think that there needs to be some guidelines and some directives and some boundaries for all of us to walk through so that we can keep things healthy and joyful and God-focused. Isn't that what we all want? For sure. All right. Well, let's dive right into it. Weird can be good. Weird can be good. Now, I do not like weird for weird's sake. Yes? The whole idea of just trying to be bizarre, I think, makes things convoluted. I don't think that we need to make God messier than he is. I think he's already rather complicated. So I don't think we need to make everything worse, but I would just say this. I believe that weird for weird's sake is not awesome, but I love God and I want everything that he wants. So how do we define weird? Anything outside of our experience. That's how we define weird. In other words, before you became a Christian, Christians were weird. weird. There you go. And now you're one of us. So... Okay, what does that mean? Well, now it's not weird anymore. Now it's normal. But you start calling things normal that are actually to everybody else weird, right? That's kind of how it goes. So when you hear the phrase weird, you don't need to be afraid. It just means unfamiliar. Once we're familiar with it, we know how to navigate it, and we can put it in its respective categories of good, bad, medium, whatever. But we don't have to panic when we hear weird. We just need to look a little bit deeper, what you're going to find out that I'm going to say over and over and over is that there is no reason to be afraid. There just simply isn't. We serve a good God, and he's the boss, and he's the big dog, so he pretty much gets to dictate what goes on. The other thing is we want to react very quickly to things, and I'm not quite sure that's how he operates. We need to slow our jets a little bit and let God be God. So you're going to hear that an awful lot. Let me just say this. Remember, the premise for the series is it may not happen to you, but it may be real. It may not happen to you, but it may be real. So some of the stuff I'm going to talk about, you're going to go, that's bogus. That's never happened anywhere I'm around. I don't know if you have been in those places where that kind of stuff would happen. For example, you'll see very different things on the mission field than you will see back home. There's a reason for that. We've talked about anointing of location prior. But all I'm saying is just because it's not familiar to you does not mean that it's not real, okay? The other thing that I want to say is that we are... Most of us, now a few of us might not be, but almost all of us are Western mindset people. However, God decided to reveal himself through the Middle Eastern people. And we like things in the West to be very clean and sanitized and categorical. The East doesn't care. The East thinks that the more complex, the more beautiful they do not find a reason to put everything in categories. That is very Greek. That is not very Middle Eastern. And so if we're going to be talking about the Bible, the Bible does not explain everything. The Bible does not try to categorize. The Bible does not try to lay everything out in a neat little orderly format because they don't care. We have an idea that if anything is legit, we should be able to put it into a test tube and figure it out. We think that we should be able to have a sanitized clean, if it doesn't make sense to me, it's probably not real. That is a very modern and very Western mindset. 
That is not where God comes from. So let's just be very cautious in putting our viewpoints onto him because he won't fit, all right? And then I will say this, God is weird. He is weird in his nature. He is a triune being. Just trying to explain it, every single analogy breaks down, right? If you kind of go, well, he's kind of like this, he's kind of like this, you're going to poke holes in it because he's kind of like nothing. He is spirit. The Bible says God is spirit. What do you do with that? We live in a world based on time. He's infinite. We live in a world based on limitations and boxes of skin and temporality, but he doesn't exist in any of that. He's spirit, he's invisible, he can move, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He's so many things that we are not. That makes him weird. The other interesting thing is that the past saints in the Bible, they couldn't figure him out either. We tend to read the Bible assuming they knew that everything was going on, they were already aware of it, it didn't freak them out, they were normal about it, that is not correct. As you know, I'm a very uh, intense student of the Bible. I've studied it and studied it decade upon decade upon decade, and so I know it pretty well. And I'll tell you, upon close reading, they were just as lost as we were. And the whole time that we're going, I don't understand, they didn't understand, right? So nothing has changed. God's been just as unknowable since the beginning. So the question comes down to this, either we want God or we don't. You don't get to pick and choose God. The Bible says we should exalt and magnify God, not reduce him to a God that you like, right? Please do not limit God to where you can get your arms around him. That's not a God that's real. So every time we engage with God, you just have to say, do I want him or not? You don't get to pick parts of God. You either get all of him or you get none of him. Let me just say this, when... Israel, I I shared this a couple weeks ago, when Israel freaked out about God's voice and they told him, don't talk to me anymore, they made a decision because he was too scary. And sometimes when we get scared, our automatic response is to block it because we think there's danger when it gets scary. But what if there's not? What if God's voice was something they needed to hear? They just didn't want to hear it. In the same way, we're going to talk this season or this session about Moses' shimmering face. But if you remember, he had to veil it. Why? Because it was weird. And people couldn't handle bizarre. So they even couldn't even look upon a miracle because Moses had to cover his face because it was too unusual and they thought unusual is bad. Remember, we tend to think different is bad. Sometimes different is better. That's an important concept in life. All right. So God does strange things. Let's look at some of the strange things that God does. God does weird things. The Bible is weird. Jesus does weird things. And then we clean up the stories afterwards. We tell them to our kids. And we start making up all this stuff. And we fill in these gaps. And we say, oh, it was only like this. I'm afraid that some of us are even sifting the stories in our own head to clean them up. And that's all going to get blown apart today. Would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1? 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Let's dive into the unusual. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Begins like this. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, on Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? 
and you shall reign over the people of Yahweh, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that Yahweh has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you shall, blah, 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 go to verse 5. You will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You see that? Let's go to verse 10. When Saul and his crew, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, and who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. All right, right off the bat, here's what just occurred. Saul is on a journey, and Samuel, the prophet, said, you're going to meet a group. God's going to come on you whether you like it or not. And all of a sudden, you'll be turned into, quote, another man. That's very unsettling, <laughs> right? I don't want to be turned into another man. I like the man I am, whatever, right? And so as he walked along, all of a sudden the spirit, wham, and he starts prophesying and being unusual. That is something coming upon him that he did not expect nor necessarily want. That's going to play into some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 1. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, Ezekiel said, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of Yahweh God fell upon me there. Then I looked and behold a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire. Above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway, to the inner court that faces north, where there was a seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there like the vision I saw in the valley. I'm sorry, how did God pick him up? By the hair. Why? Hey, buddy, come here for a second. Whoosh. Whoop. Like a little carrot. And just carried him around, right? A little odd. A little odd. All right, let's do another one. 2 Kings 13, 20. 2 Kings 13, 20. This is one of my favorites. So Elisha died. Boo, right? That's very sad. I love that guy. He's one of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year, and as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha, and as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. That's also unsettling. You guys, where are we going to bury him? Oh my gosh, here comes some people. 
he runs out, ah! Like, I thought we put you in there to stay. Like, why are you coming? I don't understand, right? Even Elisha's bones are resurrecting people. I mean, are you, are you understand how unusual this is? All right, good. If you're all looking, going, yes, that's how it always goes. <laughs> Something's wrong with you. Your world is much more bizarre than mine. All right, give you a short list. There was a talking donkey. You all familiar with the Balaam story? There's a talking donkey. Let me ask you these questions. Why did God fill John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit from the womb? What good does that do until the baby at least can do ministry? Right? Why does a little baby, right? It's like a three-week-old is like, woo, healing people and touching people. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Why was Philip teleported to Azotus instead of traveling there himself? Was it necessary for God to teleport him? Couldn't he have just taken Uber? That type of thing, right? <laughs> Why did God turn Lot's wife into salt? Why did God let Peter's shadow heal and Paul's laundry heal? Why did God send lying spirits into the prophets? I want us for a moment to keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the unusual because it's going to start opening up our understanding of God. And I want to take a very familiar passage and I want to put it through a different lens. Would you turn with me to Pentecost? Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. As you are turning there, I'm going to just share briefly a thought how do you picture this story going? Because I would imagine many of you have heard the story of Acts before, right? The whole idea of Pentecost, yes? And in that story, here's kind of how it goes. And something happened when they're having a prayer meeting, and then boom, they went outside, and they all started doing what? Speaking in tongues. Do you remember this? And everybody came around. They're like, whoa, you're speaking my language. That's so weird because you're from here, and I'm not from here, right? That kind of thing. All right? So, I just want you to hold in your mind how you think that scenario went, and we're going to read it again. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, what sound? The sound of the mighty rushing wind. At the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Sounds cool, huh? Man, what if that like happened like right now? That'd be cool, huh? We're all hanging out here talking about the supernatural and then whoosh, mighty rushing wind comes in, tongues of fire, doo -doo 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 -doo, right all over our heads. And then we just pour out where nobody's there and then we just start talking in tongues. That would be awesome. Look at verse 13. 
But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. <laughs> Had it been a night evening service, we could have all been hammered. We have no idea, but it was a morning service. Come on, let's be honest. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. All right, let's go back through it again. Weird stuff. They're all sitting together in a room. They're just having a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden, a mighty rushing wind sound. What would happen if you heard that in a church service, it all of a sudden had a deafening, mighty rushing wind come in there? You would probably say, I don't want to go to that church. But that's where Jesus was. That's where the Holy Spirit was. Then, the tongues of fire things, oh, I saw in church, somebody was like this hovering uh, like flame over their heads. Oh, did you now? Maybe you need to be back on your meds, that kind of thing, <laughs> right? But what if it was real? And then they began to speak in other tongues. Now, here's what's interesting. I've always pictured this story in my mind, and here's what I think should have happened. The guys spill out, and the women spill out, and they begin to proclaim the glory of God in a different tongue, Right? And you go, man, sounds awesome. If it was really that beautifully awesome and clean, why was the challenge alcohol? Because here's what they should have said. Oh, my goodness, when did all these guys get educated? Can we agree? If you speak another language, what's unusual about that? If you started speaking French, I wouldn't assume you're drunk. I would assume you're educated. If you started speaking Italian, I would not have thought you're drunk. I would have thought somehow somebody trained you. So when you come in as a visitor, how do you know they have not been educated in a university? Yet the automatic charge was what? Drunkenness. Why? I don't know about you, but I've been to enough parties and seen drunk people. None of them are eloquently speaking in other languages. <laughs> Hmm. How did that get mixed in together? Because once again, we have sanitized the story. If it was clean and neat and articulate, if it was all brushed and polished, if it was merely speaking in a clean language like Egyptian, who would have ever said, you're drunk? What I'm here to suggest to you is you're reading the story wrong. The Bible does not tell us how it looked or what, all the ins and outs and all the details, but I do know this, it was messy enough for them to go, something's wrong with you. Something's not right with you. You're going off and talking, and I think it sounds like gibberish because I'm not from that place, and you're using a voice that was from that other place. So I don't know what you're saying. I know what that guy's saying because he's speaking my language. He must know me. He must know my people. But I don't think so because they're all Galileans. But it was odd. And the people were not as clean cut and orderly and nicely put together as you might imagine. I think it was a mess. Because anytime I see a mess, 
then I'll start thinking there was alcohol involved. Does that make sense? All right. Listen to Jeremiah 23.9. Maybe you've never heard this before. Concerning the prophets, Jeremiah said, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. I'm sorry, what's your experience? Why would you link it to that? Dude, there's a million things you could have said that were way more sanitized. But what did he choose? I'm a mess. I don't even know what's going on right now. When I'm hearing this stuff and God is ministering to me, things are getting really odd. And I don't feel like me anymore. Huh, that's interesting. Do you remember uh, when Hannah, who couldn't have any children, was in praying with intensity and she ends up being the mom of the prophet Samuel. Do you remember her story? The, the priest Eli was there, and he ends up getting on her case. Why? Because he thinks she's drunk. Why? What is going on where everyone's getting pinged for being drunk? Why is that a constant attack when it comes to the people of God in prayer? Because I think it's messier than you think it is. I don't think it's clean. I think it's a little bit crazy. Now, let me balance this. The Bible says that the spirit of the prophets is under the control of the prophet. So when we start getting into conversations about uncontrollable something, I'm going to have a lot to say because I'm not quite sure it's uncontrollable in the way that you think it's uncontrollable. Because when it's this idea of there's just absolute chaos and there's no order, God is a God of order, but God is a God of the weird. God is a God of mess but God is still a God of order. I just think we need to reclassify our definitions, if that makes any sense. So let's talk about the unexplainable stuff. We'll continue driving forward. The Bible was not designed to be an answer book, so it just says this occurred. It doesn't say what it looked like. We need to remember that. So, for example, it says, and the apostles healed, but it doesn't show what it was like. It didn't say how long it took. It didn't say what manner they did it. It doesn't say any of that stuff. It just says it, so our minds import our experience into the story. But what if it was super different than your experience? That's what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about manifestations of the supernatural. What does manifestations mean? It means simply this. The Holy Spirit's presence has become recognized. There's a reveal of the presence of God working in a situation. It means something supernatural occurred that I can track. That's what a manifestation is. So, for example, when you hear the phrase, there was a manifestation of the Spirit, a lot of times we'll get into the super unusual talks, right? There was a glory cloud in the church. There was gold dust falling everywhere. There were feathers falling from the ceiling. There was, and we start using all those phrases. What's intriguing is anything that shows that God was there is really a manifestation, and once again, we are actually experiencing them all the time. We just don't label them with that. So when you hear the label, you go, oh, that must be wrong. No, it's just a different label, right? Let's walk through it for a moment. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 14. I think this is interesting. Now, there are a variety of gifts, Paul says, but the same spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
To one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, spiritual gifts are manifestations. Now, I think you're all eager to say, man, I think I have a spiritual gift. But you don't send to go, I think I have a manifestation of the Spirit. You just don't call it that. But that's what it is, because if truly a supernatural activity is moving through you and it's becoming realized in the natural, it's a manifestation of God. You go, okay, I don't know. I'm not tracking with you. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 14.10. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. For if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. The Corinthian church was eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Why? Because you want God in your midst. That's the point of church. If there's no manifestations of the Spirit, now you may not be able to track on it, but I'll tell you, angels are here, God is here, he's moving and doing his work, and you go, well, it's fine as long as I don't have to see it. Because if I see it, I'm gonna freak out, and I'm gonna have to go to another church. So God's gotta go, shh, and he has to sneak by you really, right? What if he wants to go loud? What if he wants to actually do something? John chapter 14, verse 18 It's important that God is among us. He promised he would be. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You might have read right past that, but I will show up to my people. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Meaning, why should the church have experiences of seeing you, but the world does not? Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Here's what he just said. I will show up. Now, mostly I'm gonna show up through the person of the Holy Spirit, but I just need you to know there's nothing to worry about because I'm a man of peace. Pretty awesome, huh? Are you eager for the manifestation of the Spirit? I pray for it every weekend. God be among us, God be among us, God be among us. God, come and dwell with your people in a richer way. Open our eyes that we might be able to see you moving in our midst. I don't always want God to have to hide himself. Sometimes I just want the encouragement that he's here. 
The most popular biblically recorded manifestations that you may be familiar with are things like this, the rainbow. There was a time when the rainbow was not. And then God said, I'm going to give you a what? A sign. And he put a rainbow in the sky. A rainbow is a manifestation. Well, no, it's not. It's just when the light rays... The rainbow (laughs) is a manifestation. All right, cool. The burning bush. Y'all remember that story? Is God really a burning bush? No, he is not. But he manifested in the form of a burning bush. He saw a bush that would not burn up. What about a pillar of cloud and fire for Israel when it traveled with them? That was a manifestation of God. What about manna? That's a manifestation of the presence of God. As a matter of fact, if you go through, you find a bunch of categories. The first category is fire, smoke, and cloud. Fire, smoke, and cloud. These are manifestations of God. Give you an example, Exodus 19.16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so all the people in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Are we all tracking the manifestation references? All right. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. That is a whole host of manifestations. Sound, visual, intensity, right? What if that happened in church service? Oh, yeah? So let me give you a quick list about manifestations. Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction with fire and sulfur coming down. Elijah called down fire to burn people up. Elijah called down fire to burn up the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. James and John said they wanted to call down fire because they knew they could. Pentecost had the tongues of fire on everybody. At the tent of meeting, there was a cloud that went around. There was a glory cloud of God at the filling of the tabernacle. God appeared in a cloud at Joshua's commissioning. God took Elijah in a whirlwind and in chariots of fire. There was a cloud at the Mount of Transfiguration. What's the point? God God shows up in manifestations. So how come you're not seeing any? Is it that God is not here, that God's not among us? It's a question worth asking. The second category is thunder, rain, and wind. Thunder, rain, and wind. 1 Samuel 12, 18. So Samuel called upon Yahweh, and Yahweh sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask ourselves for a king. It's got to be some pretty significant storming for people to freak out and go, God is here. But he did so in thunder, rain, and wind. Do you remember in the plagues, the fiery hail? that poured down, that was a manifestation of God. What about the Pentecost wind? What about simply when Gideon asked God, hey, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, and what if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry? That's a manifestation of God of water and dew and rain, okay? Third category, earthquakes and shaking. 
earthquakes and shaking. Do you remember in Matthew 27, 50, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, a massive earthquake ripped open all the tombs and dead people got out and walked into town? That's craziness, right? Super unsettling, especially if you got remarried. Bob, what the, this is awkward. Do you remember when Paul and Silas were freed from prison, they were done so with an earthquake and all their chains fell off too. That's called a manifestation of God. Let's talk about some other manifestations. Aaron, Moses' brother, his staff budded with almond blossoms. God marked Cain with a manifestation. Even there's a test in Numbers 5, 11, and 12, a test for adultery where there's a manifestation of God where her thigh begins to waste away if she has been unfaithful. There's a manifestation, as we mentioned, of a talking donkey. There is God's presence where he knocks over a pagan idol to Dagon. There is God afflicting the Philistines with tumors. And the Bible is full of them, manifestations of the presence of God. So let's talk about the experiences that some of our people here today tend to come in contact with. And you may say some of them are bogus, some of them are not. Remember, though it doesn't happen to you, it may be legitimate, it may not. It may be totally bogus. I have no idea if I'm not there and I can't analyze it. I've had stuff happen around me and it didn't happen to me. And I mean, I've been in all kinds of environments, right? But let's talk about these because here's the, here's the premise I believe. We desperately need experiences with God. We desperately need experiences with God. How does any relationship grow? Communication and shared experiences. I need you to think back through on your marriage, your relationships, anything. How did any of them grow? Shared experiences and communication. If God's not talking and he's not showing up, how in the world do you have a relationship with him? Because here's the challenge. What I find being a pastor of more of the conservative side of things is that doubt comes in a lot because it's all up in our heads. We haven't had enough experience with God, so we tend to have very loose connections. We think we can take him and leave him because he hasn't shown up in our midst. Trust me, when God shows up in your midst, it rattles your cage, right? And you start going, I don't know what to do with that because now it's personal. We always think as long as he's behind the plexiglass wall, we're safe. But if he comes out around the wall, it starts getting weird. Okay. But I also need to balance you with this. The authority of Scripture trumps experience. Why? Experience is a separate level of subjectiveness. When we have an experience, we interpret it through our lens. What if your lens is wrong? So if you have an experience, let's say, for example, Joseph Smith has an experience with an angel Moroni in a forest and says, that wrecked my life, that's shocking, and begins to teach it, what does he have to check it against? Scripture. And what does Scripture say? Paul said, I don't care if an angel or anyone else comes to you with a different gospel, you do not buy it. Did you have an experience? Maybe. We don't know. Nobody knows if Joseph was bogus or whether or not he was legit in his experience. What I'm telling you is he could have easily checked it back against Scripture and said, it's no go. I did have an experience. The experience may have been legit. It was just not from the Lord. 
We all tracking on that? Because it's not that our experiences aren't important, it's that they're very, very subjective. So we have to go against what we know. One of the rules of interpretation of Scripture is you allow the clear passage to inform the obscure passage. For example, there's a passage in Scripture that says, Paul says, why else do we baptize for the dead? Well, have you ever read that? No, nobody ever teaches on that. Why? Because it's weird. So you may well grab one tiny piece and go, what we need to do is baptize for the dead. Now that you don't know in context, we need to balance it against the rest of Scripture to inform it. You don't use the little baby obscure stuff to try to make a whole doctrine out of it. In the same way, you do not allow your experience to dictate how you have your theology. Are we all tracking on that? Okay, good, good, good. All right, but there are limitations of Scripture. Remember, it doesn't include everything and it doesn't explain everything. So here's some stuff that people experience today. Whether it's true or not, we're going to talk through it. Things like trembling, warmth, electrical current, sobbing, twitching, tingling, fire, vibration, heaviness, strong sense that God is there, laughter, drunkenness in the spirit, exuberant joy. What do we do with that kind of stuff? Well, there's always a mix. In any time you're dealing with humans, you have mess. You have a God element, you have an enemy element, and you have a human element, right? So what becomes very odd is trying to sort who is who and what is what. So you may have an experience and you need to be able to step back with wisdom and say, whoa, 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 what went down and was that this category, this category, this category, or was it a mixture? There's nothing wrong with sorting it out. You don't have to go la, 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 and just pretend it would all must be God, everything's cool, or oh my gosh, it's all the devil. I don't think that's wise. I think what is wise is let's break it down and sort it out. What was the outcome? We do the same test for this kind of stuff that we do for anything else. What was the fruit of it? Not how did it feel, how it felt. I, it, I probably didn't feel awesome for the God to pick up the dude by the hair. I don't know what that was, but that probably didn't feel awesome. All I'm saying is that it was unusual. That didn't mean it wasn't God. So we have different tests. We have to look at it through a different lens. All right? So let's talk about verbal manifestations. For example, prophecy. Give me an example. In Numbers 11, when God took the spirit of Moses and put it on the 70 elders, the way they knew was they prophesied. That was a verbal manifestation of the presence of God. When the Holy Spirit came on King Saul, he prophesied. When Saul and his team prophesied, Watch what happens. 1 Samuel 19.20. This is crazy. 1 Samuel 19.20. Then Saul, who was angry at David, trying to chase him down, then King Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, where David was hiding, Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Okay, real quick. Did you see what just happened? hey, I need you to go get David. He's irritating me. I need you to take him into custody. So the guys that came to arrest him start prophesying. He's like, dang, that didn't work. <laughs> Verse 21, when it was told to Saul, he sent more messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Do you understand this isn't working? Every time he sends someone to go arrest David, they just all end up prophesying, and they're all hanging out prophesying. 
It's groups getting bigger. Then he himself, because remember, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. So he himself went to Ramah and, and came to the great well, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? And they said, oh, they're in Naoth. So he went to Naoth, and the Spirit of God came on him also, and as he went, he prophesied till he came to Naoth. There he stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all day and all that night, and everyone said, is Saul also a prophet? Man, that's another killer church service. How about we have that? Hey, have you guys been to Bridgeway? Whoa, nobody needs to see that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Bunch of naked people on the altar. It's really weird. Manifestation, prophecy, spirit of God came, prophecy. But there's another verbal manifestation, a tongues. For example, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they all began to speak in tongues. When the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles, they all spoke in tongues. When the Holy Spirit came on 12 other disciples in Acts 19, they all spoke in tongues. It's the reason why the assembly of God has a viewpoint. Now, I misunderstood this. I actually left the assembly of God denomination when I was 16 years old over this doctrine because I believe that they had stated, this is how it was told to me as a 16-year-old, that everyone speaks in tongues. And I went, that doesn't jive with me, sorry. According to scripture, Paul said, do all speak in tongues? The answer was no. So I went, sorry, I tested against scripture, it's bogus. What I did not know was that was not their official statement. Their official statement was that the initial manifestation of the Holy Spirit comes with a tongues, it does not mean that you speak it thereafter. There's an initial manifestation, that's your sign, then whether or not you have the gift of tongues is a completely different story. Once again, we've talked a little bit about prayer language versus speaking in tongues. They would say you had a prayer language, initially you called out to God in that way, but it didn't mean you had the gift moving forward. So just in case you've ever heard things like this, you need to go all the way back and find out what they really are trying to tell you, and that's why they view it that way. Now, I don't happen to believe that, but once again, it's not like they don't have a biblical argument. When you start tracking through and it's like, boom, Holy Spirit comes, tongues, Holy Spirit comes, tongues, Holy Spirit comes, tongues. Now, there's two other groups that did not have any mention of tongues. That was the Samaritans and Paul the Apostle. So, does it mean it always happens? Maybe they just didn't mention it. Ah, all right. But there's also not just verbal manifestations, there are body manifestations. Let me give you a couple examples on these. You probably have had two body manifestations, every one of you, and you didn't call it that. What are they? Tears and chills. Manifestations. You're like, wait, 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 what? Have you ever been touched by God and started to cry? Yeah. That's a manifestation. No, it's not. I'm just being emotional. All right, let me give you another story. This happened to me for the first time in Israel. I went over to Israel on a study tour, and when we were all there as a group, I thought I was going to be deep, and I was going to go to the Wailing Wall. Y'all know what the Wailing Wall is, the place where they put the little prayers in the wall, um, and it's in Jerusalem. It's at the, the, the wall of the 
Temple Mount, right? So it's a real fancy, important place. So all the Jews are doing their little, you know, they have the little books and everything, which is super funny because now when I pray, I tend to do this, and it's more of a self-soothing thing, right? Where I'm trying to focus, everyone's like, what are you doing? Is it deep? I'm like, no, I'm trying to focus, right? I'm just rocking, like, you know, and I, you know, I have a little spinner in my hand. You know, it's kind of like I'm just trying to, just trying to get in the groove, people, right? It's not deep. <laughs> anyway, while I'm there, while I'm there, I ha- you know, you have to be, it was sunlight, so I'd have my sunglasses on. Anyway, so I, I go out to the, the wailing wall, and I try to be really deep, and I'm like, Lord, allow me to feel what you feel for your people, and I laid my hand on the wall, okay? Now, I didn't know what to expect, but I thought there was going to be some dramatic thing. I felt nothing. So I was kneeling down, and what's so unusual about this is at that same time, some of the members of my team saw me kneeling with my hand on the wall and took a telephoto lens. So I have a picture of it in my office of this exact moment. As I'm standing there, I start to cry. I have no emotion. I'm just crying. And it starts pouring out of my eyeballs, and it fills up my sunglasses because my head's down. (laughs) So when I looked up, it was like, wash. And it's filling, 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 and it's just pouring out of me. But I don't feel sad. I don't feel any emotion. I don't feel anything. And I was like, that was the weirdest, lamest experience. I was like, what was that all about? Well, here's what's weird. Since that moment, periodically, when I pray for people, and there's a, two things happen when I pray for people that show me that the Holy Spirit showed up. One of them is I start to cry and I don't feel any emotion about it. I just start to cry. The other thing is my hand begins to heat up. And when I'm laying my hands on someone, and here's the funny thing, it's almost always my right hand. So whenever I pray for somebody, I'm like, can you scoot over? (laughs) I gotta use my good hand. I don't know why that does that, but anyway. Here's my point, is that It's a manifestation. Now, let's say that happens to you, and you didn't know it was a manifestation. You would just think you're crying. Okay. The other one is chills. Chills are a natural physical response to things. You can be at a concert, and it's like Seal is singing his song from 1989 or whatever, and you're like, I love this song, and you get like chills down your spine. That's totally normal. The weird thing is the timing. When you're in a church service and you're just praying and chills hit your spine, why? What was it? All I'm saying is that when God touches us and does manifestations, a lot of times he uses physical things around us. Rain is not unusual, but sometimes God is in the rain. Wind is not unusual, but sometimes God is in the wind. Fire is not unusual, but sometimes God is in the fire. The miracle is the timing of it. So, Same thing with us. What about tears? What about chills? All right, let's talk about the uncommon ones. Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Real quick, did you see it in verse 31? Moses called to them, and they all came back. Where did they go? They had all run away. 
It was pretty unusual. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. He commanded them that the Lord had spoken with them in Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he would tell the people what he had commanded. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shiny. And then Moses would put the veil over his face again. <clears throat> Bummer. Bummer that he had an experience with God and it was so intense that it transformed his skin, but no one wanted to see it. That's a drag. Hey, buddy, something's wrong with you. I'm not sure what's going on with you, but it's probably not good. So can you just stay away from me? That's unfortunate. The other times that the Spirit comes on, and I'm really glad that nobody really has this one, but usually when the Spirit comes on Samson, he kills somebody. So uh, the whole ripping lions apart and stuff like that, I'm really glad that that's not a, you know, a common one, right? Uh, that probably happens in a more charismatic church, okay? Uh, <laughs> and there I was there, and I killed everyone. Sorry, I, I don't know what happened there, but just ripped him like a little goat, okay? Uh, there's warmth, tingling, and fire. Um, 2 Kings 4.30, when Eli Elisha arose, Gehazi went on ahead of him, laid the staff on the child's face who had died, but there was no sound or sign of life. So when Elisha came in the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, shut the door between the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up, laid on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Okay, first of all, very awkward manner of healing. Can we all agree? No wonder he shut the door. That's just odd. Right? Hey, what's going on? Get away from my kid. Then he got up again, walked once back and forth in the house, went up, stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and he opened his eyes. Warmth. Boom. He just begins to start coming alive. That's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There are times when you may well be feeling tingling all throughout your body. That might be a manifestation of the Lord. In the Bible, there are many times that people are trembling before God. Most all those are fear, just straight up fear, like God's so big, I'm like, I'm rattled. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there's a trembling that's involuntary. You're starting to shake. Is that possibly, it is for people that are around me. They've experienced this. Not all trembling is out of fear. Psalm 2.11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You rejoice with trembling. It's not fear. The same thing about Jeremiah. He said, all my bones shake. There are a couple others that are very unusual. There are things where people feel a sensation of electricity through their bodies. Uh, I've only had that once. It was actually when I was sleeping. Um, I was at a conference, and I ended up having it shoot through my body. That was very unusual. Once again, all I thought about was the Lord. So I look at the fruit of it, and what it did is it drew me near the Lord. That's my test. Did it push me away from God? Did it draw me to the Lord? Those were the keys. And then there's the, this other one, and this one I have not had, thank goodness, which means now the Holy Spirit, Spirit's going to be like, oh, this will be funny. And it's the one where people have like spasms and tensions. This one is super weird. If you ever go, and usually you have to go to a conference to see it because you have to get kind of all the odd people together, <laughs> right? Uh, all the, like, the prophets and everything, they're all hanging out together, and they'll do like crunching. They'll do this. And then they're walking, and they're doing this. And you're like, what are you doing? 
and they're totally normal. They're like just talking with you like, as if it's no big deal, and they'll do that. And, they're like, and you're like, what are you doing? Stop doing that, right? Because it's odd. And they're like, I don't know, man. I'm just doing it. Just do, you know. Here's the thing. There's another piece that's exuberant joy, and people call it holy laughter. Whenever somebody says holy laughter, it starts to make you go, oh, that's odd. There's a couple things that could be going on. It's either just joy from God that just flows over somebody, because this stuff is legit. At least some of it is. Or it's an emotional release. Because here's the thing. We don't realize how much tension we're carrying. We don't realize all the weight of the world on our shoulders. And sometimes the love and peace of God descends upon us, and finally we feel light. And finally we have joy again. What I'm saying is, can we please have some grace that when you see something that is unusual happening with someone else, don't automatically assume it's the devil. Sometimes it's just human. Sometimes it's just Jesus. Now, it could be unusual. We'll talk about that. But here's the thing. This is where I'm going to finish up on the manifestations part. You guys ever heard the phrase slain in the spirit? Okay, hate that phrase. Uh, Nobody wants to be slain. Hey, do you want to get killed by God? No, not really. I don't, actually. So I use a different phrase called overwhelmed by the presence. I think that is way more accurate, and I think it is a little bit more positive, all right? Now, there's a bunch of stuff going on with this. Um, I'm going to give you four reasons why I think this occurs, okay? So we'll just go through these very quickly. Four reasons. Number one, supernatural, just write supernatural. Super, you can even write this, supernatural and overwhelming. This is sheer overwhelming by God that will knock you down and likely knock you out, regardless of what you think about it. Now, does that happen? Yes. Revelation 1, 12 through 17, John said, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. That is not, I bowed down in reverence. That is, possumed right out, man. You were gone. Like, you got nothing to say about it. You're out. That's kind of how it goes. Um, I would also use that for Peter's trance in Acts 10, Abraham's dreadful vision in Genesis 15, the guards who came to arrest Jesus, and they all got knocked down. Um, When the angel came on the tomb and knocked out all the guys that were the guards at the tomb, when Saul of Tarsus is knocked out on the road to Damascus, all these are a supernatural, you are going to hit the ground. There's nothing you're going to do about it right? That's one kind. Number two, I call spiritual and heavy. Spiritual and heavy. I mean, you, get, you go down, but you're not knocked out. For example, remember the story we just read about Saul laying there naked all day long? Okay, he was down. He was still awake and naked, and he was flailing about doing his little prophecy thing, right? So he was totally in there, but he was not getting up. There's a reason for that. I would also use that for the priests that couldn't stand or minister because of the glory cloud in 1 Kings 8, when the disciples were overwhelmed by the presence of God in the cloud of the Mount of Transfiguration, and when Ezekiel sees the glory of God and the brightness all around him, right? The number three, physical reason. Uh, this is a whole bunch of things. It can either be the emotional aspect of the soul, but really I put it into a couple categories. There's healthy and unhealthy, okay? So here's the healthy. I want to be with God so much that I'm open in the minute that he shows up, I'm all of his. 
That's a physical response. That's going, listen, I just want the power of God, and if he shows up here, I'm going to completely lean into him. Bye-bye. Right? Okay. That's one. And in that one, you can willingly fall down, you can fall down due to fear, or you can just have an emotional crash. You're so emotional. It's like falling when you sob in weeping. That also happens, right, where you just go, I can't stand up anymore. All right. But in between the good and bad, there's the moderate. That's the messy part. Uh, meaning, I don't know what happened. There's a lot of people I've asked where they've been overwhelmed by God, and I go, what happened? They go, I don't know what happened. I just went down. I was just overwhelmed, I guess. It wasn't something super spiritual. I, I did feel something, but I, I don't know. That's the one where we kind of just put it in that category and go, oh, I don't know. And then there's the unhealthy one, the unhealthy category. The unhealthy things, there's three groups of those. Number one is peer suggestion-based. So this is where you've been trained up that if somebody does a certain thing, you'll go out. It's very similar to hypnotism, right? Um, the idea that you can do power of suggestion, boom, you're gone, that kind of stuff. All right, pure suggestion, if you've been trained into a thing that you're always gonna go out when this particular thing happens, I don't think that's super healthy. Um, but the second one is when it's attention-driven, when it's only attention-driven. Um, everyone else goes out, so you go out, right? You guys, I, I think I shared this with you last time, but I was in a conference and everybody went down around me, and it was like a field got mowed, and I'm just standing up, <laughs> all six, three of me. I'm just like, hey, how are you? God doesn't like me. That's cool. No big deal. I'll just blend in with all my friends laying on the ground. Um, and then, of course, the third category is when you're trying to lead someone else astray by trying to make something look like it happened that didn't really happen, right? So that kind of stuff is possible. Now, so there's the supernatural, there's the spiritual, there's the physical, and then there's the demonic. Now, I have no indicators whatsoever in Scripture or anywhere else that, that Satan would want to knock somebody down. I don't, I don't know, it's possible, I guess, because there's always a counterfeit guy. That he's always going to counterfeit something. So if that's a thing, okay, there you go. There you got a category of that one. But... All I need you to know as we wrap this up is sometimes stuff just shows up. There have been people that have seen multiple times, I shared this before, people have seen angels on this stage. This happens more than you might imagine. And you go, well, I like them theoretically being here. I don't like them literally being here. That would be super weird. But they're either here or they're not here. And so they're here. So sometimes some people, and you have to remember, some people are gifted with a sensitivity towards that stuff. I've, in my life, the last time I saw someone, what I believe to be an angel, scared the living daylights out of me, I was probably 14. I haven't seen anything since then. So that was a very, very different time in my life. So I have seen angels, but not like that. Um, but we just need to understand that if there's a glowing or a shimmering or the what's this whole gold dust thing? Is it, is it like the shimmering face of Moses or is it like, because I know people that have literally seen piles of it that you can scoop up and then it dissipates like manna. You're like, well, that's never happened. It actually happened with manna. Remember, if you didn't gather it, it actually all dissipated. So it's not that unusual, at least not biblically. But here's the deal. It's not always the same stuff in the same way. Here's the way I think it needs to be viewed. Here we go. 
2 Kings 6.15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. The servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. That's awesome. Y'all, things are going on all the time. We just don't have eyes to see them. But it's happening. As we transition into this piece where we're going to be talking a little bit about the demonic, I, I need you to remember God is stronger. I need you to remember that God is more present. I need you to remember that God is near. I need you to remember that God is personal. This is very important. So the last thing I'll say about the weird concept is this. We always ask the question, why? Well, why, why is there got to be gold dust? I don't know. I have no idea. I would say, why did Jesus have to walk on water? Why did Jesus curse a fig tree? Why did Jesus make a ton more wine when everyone was already hammered? <laughs> why did Jesus cry right before raising Lazarus from the dead? Why did Jesus do anything? I don't know. But here's the interesting thing. The problem with asking why is there may be an answer. Like if you look at some of the stuff when Jesus put the, his fingers in the guy's ears and he spit on his tongue, there's actually a reason for that, but you may not know it. That's the point. There is an answer. You just don't know it. It doesn't mean it's wrong. So it seems a little unusual to ask why. But I, for me, I said the second major question is why does it have to be so weird? And here's my answer to you because pride's such a big problem. I think that God gives grace to the humble, and I think that he honors people that are childlike. And I think that everyone that walks around with a chip on their shoulder and says, prove it to me, God, I think God withholds. And he's like, I'm not gonna show you anything. Why? Because you don't test God. That's not how it works. I think that a lot of times you go, man, it's like that, that one church, like all those people that get all that stuff, they're all just... Their theology's bad, and they're all just kind of weird, and they're all and you start making all these judgments, right? And maybe they're God's kids. Hmm. Let's be careful on that stuff, yeah? Last one is the big question that everybody has is, what about the fact that a lot of this stuff is really similar in the occult? Right? I mean, isn't that what, there's a big fear, right? Because what are we all scared of? We're always scared that somehow Satan's going to get one over on us. He's going to do something bad in our midst, and then he's going to turn the whole church, and he's going to do something crazy. Here's why I don't think that you need to have any fear. We have a million safeguards. Even if it got weird for a day, let's say it even got weird for a week, and it wasn't godly, we have enough safeguards to bring it back in. We are so anchored, y'all, in the Word of God. We are so anchored in the safety of Jesus Christ. We are so anchored in the truth of Him. We have nothing to fear. I know some of the stuff may be outside of your realm of experience, but please don't worry about it. Everything is correctable. If it's not of Jesus, we'll find out. And we can handle it, but you don't have to be afraid. All right. Let me just say this. I, I don't want to take a whole lot of time with the demonic because I'm going to sum it up pretty, pretty quickly. And it's, and it's really this. Demons are real. 
I've engaged with them a number of different times, and what we need to know is that God is greater. Demons are afraid of Jesus because they know who he is. Every time demons interact with Jesus in the Bible, there is always a respect and a fear. They're always like, why are you here? You're here to mess with us too early. Like, why would you do this? And, and there's always a begging. Because we are united with Christ, there is victory for the believer. And when we walk in the power of the Lord, we do not need to fear. Is it scary? Yeah, it is. You guys, it's just not, it's not something that we're used to dealing with, spiritual realm stuff. But here's my point. If someone is held by Satan and they want to be free, our job as Christians is to set them free. If nothing else, can it please just be compassion? Don't leave them like that. It's not awesome. Satan's will for their life is not great. Now, I am going to caution you. The Bible's very clear. Do not cast a demon out of somebody that's just going to let it back in. That's a bad idea. Comes in worse. The Bible's super clear on that one. But here's the point. Demons fear God for a reason because he is the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Every knee will what? It will bow. It's just who he is. 1 Peter 3, 21, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers all subject to him. In Matthew 8, 16, he cast out spirits with just a word. In John 16, 33, I've said these things to you, take heart, I have overcome the world. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. They're just scared of him. All things were created by Jesus. He's over all things. Anytime we're dealing with it, you do not walk in with disrespect. There are passages in the scripture that say you do not walk in and make fun of demons and play this stuff lightly. You better be locked in with Jesus. This is one of those times that you do not play games. You can cast in the name of Jesus, but at some degree, your relationship with Jesus matters. There was times when the disciples were given all the authority over demons, but they still couldn't get a demon out. Why? He said that kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting and faith. You've got to have a certain walk in order to cast out the sticky ones, right? How are you going to know that? I don't know. Are you walking in trying to set anybody free? We've got to grow up in this stuff. Why? Because you're the ministers. It's not the professionals. It's people that have the Holy Spirit within them. It's Christians. You have just as much access to the Holy Spirit as I do. You don't need to wait for me. You have just as much authority and power as I do. Why? You're a child of God. That's the only thing that gives me any power at all. So all I'm saying is that here's how I like to operate in the supernatural. And this is just a guideline for you. Talk quietly and carry a big stick. Well, I'm not interested in flash and flare. I'm not interested in going crazy and doing a lot of hype. But I'm interested in effectiveness. I'm interested in power. I'm interested in the Holy Spirit raging. But I don't need to get... I get worked up because of my flesh. Sometimes I get super loud and intense. That's only because I'm getting my head in the game and I'm just caught up in the emotion of it. But that's not what generates power. Y'all, it's not us. It was never us. It's all Jesus. It says, not by might but by his spirit, says the Lord. Please don't do this whole, I'm gonna just do whatever I want, it doesn't matter, I can do. 
You always walk in humbly and respectful, but you walk in with confidence because Jesus Christ is your king. Does that make sense? All right, praise God. Okay, so we're gonna leave it at that. I have an awful lot of stuff about the demonic. We will do a whole bunch of other training on it, but I really wanna focus our last uh, portion of the time, our last 45 minutes. I really wanna talk about the 21 core values of Bridgeway when it comes to the supernatural. The 21 core values of the supernatural when it comes to Bridgeway. Now, we're gonna talk about keeping things healthy for the rest of our time, and you're gonna say, so Pastor Lance, where do I find the 21 core values of the supernatural at Bridgeway? And I'm gonna say, I don't know, I just wrote it. (laughs) I just made it up. So anyway, you're about to get it right now. Woo, okay, first time. so let me just share this. How do, we, how do we keep this stuff healthy? And I'll tell you when we get into the numbering of it, but I want to talk for a little bit. I want to keep saying it over and over and over. You guys, without love, things go wrong. I, I don't care what supernatural stuff you're walking in. If you are not in a heart and a space to love people and you're there because they matter to Jesus, you're going to screw somebody up. Please don't do that. Love is so important, we're gonna talk about that a little bit more. But remember, your motivations also count. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you trying to test God? Are you trying to mess with him? Are you trying to look fancy? Are you trying to look better to other people? Are you doing competition? There's a million motivations for why we do what we do. Can we try to always rein it back in to what is healthy and right? We need to have proper discernment. Just because it's uncomfortable and unusual doesn't mean it's bad. We can always test things to keep things healthy. All right, let's, let's just dive into them because I got bored with myself. Here we go. Number one, you ready? Number one, all of God and nothing more. Number one, all of God and nothing more. We want everything that he has for us. This is so critical. We serve a mysterious and all-powerful God who does weird things and causes people to do crazy and odd things, but we need to walk forward with humility, ready to listen and learn and keep grounded, but we want all of God, but nothing more. Because if you end up having all that God has and you just start getting a little bit off kilter and you just want more of something that's not right and you start pushing the boundaries and cutting corners... That's where you're going to end up in some bad territory. All of God. I will not stop pushing the church of Bridgeway until we have all of God. That's it. Now, I don't want to push it beyond that, but we're going to push until we have all of God and nothing more. Number two, mystery is a part of the journey. Mystery is a part of the journey. I know that there are some of us that, like me, are super analytical, right? We are hyper-analytical. We search and sort and sift and, and all these things. I just need you to realize God is mysterious. His ways are mysterious. And sometimes in your analysis, you ran right past him. You were looking for something that wasn't there. You can't put it in a lab. And some of you go, then I don't want it. Then you don't want it. Just be honest about it. I don't want what God has. Because if I can't get my arms around it, I don't want it because it's unsafe. Uh, Sometimes we need to be a little bit off, right? Number three, love reigns. Love reigns. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I'm going to say it again. People are not lab experiments. People are people. Therefore, love reigns. Our whole prayer team is based in love, and we need to make sure it stays that way. Okay? So whatever you do, love. Love reigns. Number four, honesty, but not hype. Honesty, not hype. Honesty, not hype. Please do not claim something that is not legitimate. That is a rule, a core value for here at Bridgeway, because what it does is it diminishes everyone else's faith. If you say something occurred and you hype it up and they find out the accuracy of it, then they start doubting everything. Please don't rock people's faith like that. It's not nice. But you need to make sure that what? You are honest, right? You gotta be honest about what's going on. We should be a church, and I'm, I'm always have it on my heart to do more and more and more, but we have to be a church that gives testimony. A lot of times we don't wanna give testimony because we're afraid that we're gonna jinx it, right? That somehow we're gonna mess it up. Um, that's a little bit of a magical thinking, so let's be very careful on that. Um, let's be honest about what God is doing and don't just hide it and stuff it and say, that's my personal faith. I need to grow, and I need to grow through your miracles, okay? So you got to tell me, all right? Number five, unity before division. Unity before division. We are not to be quick to judge nor to divide. We will call out falsehood and lies, but we will seek to find the common ground and focus more on what we have in common than what divides us, okay? So unity before division. Y'all better have some serious, good biblical reason and, and some authority behind you if you're going to start dividing with someone because division should be the last thing. We do not automatically divide just because we don't feel like that other person, right? So we want to be very unified as a body. Wherever we're going to go with the supernatural, let's not divide. Let's say they don't think that what you're doing is necessarily legitimate. They're more conservative. That's okay. We don't need to divide. Or let's say they're being a little bit more chasing after the spirit, and you go, hmm, it's not really my thing. We don't have to divide. It's okay to disagree, but we don't have to divide, right? You're allowed to call it too and go, I don't think that's accurate. Okay, you're allowed to say that. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't divide. We're still brothers and sisters. All right? Here we go. Number six, grace before judgment. Grace before judgment. In other words, we're walking in mystery and complexity, and we need to be, have a culture of grace. We are with people, broken people. So whatever you're going to see any, operate anywhere in anybody's lives, it's probably going to be a little bit messy and weird. Why? They're people. Okay? There is no clean ministry, not as long as peoples are around, right? Um, and we need to give room for normal growth patterns. Um, for example, if you took anything, any element of Christianity, let's say it was a pastor, and let's say the first time anybody ever spoke up here and you just hammered them because they didn't do everything right, you would call that rude, right? Well, that happens for all the things in Christianity. Please give them a normal growth pattern. They're just supposed to grow up. We automatically assume if it's from God, you must be mature. That's not correct. It's not true with us, right? We're not mature. 
So we just give people some space to grow up. All right, we got to grow in maturity. And we don't assume the worst. We believe the best, right? I mean, this is all under that same title. We believe the best. Why? Love is patient. Love is kind. Remember, it hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things. That's who we are. That if somebody says, I had an experience, you don't automatically go, no, you didn't. (laughs) Right? You may go, no way. And in your head, you're like, no, seriously, no way. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I understand that in your mind, but you got to just process that stuff and be nice. Right? It's the idea that you go, listen, if that happened to you, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around it. Not sure how I feel about it. But wow, if God visited you, that's really beautiful. Okay? Because here's what I found. I found that all this weird stuff and the manifestations and all that other stuff, here's really the bottom line to why I think any of it occurs, relational connection. I really think that's the only reason for any of it. It's supposed to go, hey, honey, I'm still here. Does my hand have to heat up when I'm praying for somebody sometime? No, it doesn't. Why? It is a little encouraging. It doesn't happen all the time. I wish it would. But it's an encouragement hey, my son, I see you. I'm with you. I'm still going to tell you no, but I'm with you, right? I just want you to know I see you. I I love that beautiful connection. I think that's what it should be. So that's why when a lot of us get into scientific mode, it ruins the whole point that we're like, well, I'm just going to analyze it. He's like, I just gave you a love letter and all you're doing is correcting my grammar, (laughs) right? Ouch. Um, And realize that at Bridgeway, at least... People are generally motivated by good reasons and love. They're not trying to be bad guys, right? Um, And then the other thing is, please just clarify what you heard and what really happened before you start going out and talking about it. (laughs) Because sometimes the person told it accurately, the rumor mill messed it up, right? You know, when I talked about, um, hey, our church just brought in $100,000 to help with Santa Rosa fire relief. Remember that? You know, our two days. It was $97,600. Well, if all of a sudden I hear later on, Bridgeway brought in $250,000, you know what I'm saying? Like everyone just keeps expanding it and expanding it. That would be awesome. That's not what happened, right? It was already a miracle. You don't need to help God out with extra miracles he didn't do, okay? Um, Number seven, everyone's walk is unique. Number seven, everyone's walk is unique. What you're going through, what I'm going through, what season you're in, what period you're in, they're all different. So you're going to tend to, we always grow by comparing ourselves to other people, but it's just dangerous, right? You're always looking, well, what are you going, can you do that? Can I do that? uh, Be very careful with that. Everybody's unique. And sometimes you're on a different pathway and yours leads to this being really easy for you, but not this. And it's easier for me to do that and not this. So if you're trying to compare, you're actually on different paths trying to compare and it doesn't make any sense, right? All right. Number eight, be eager for more of the Holy Spirit. Eager for more of the Holy Spirit, right? This is super important because... Here's the deal. It's a really messy journey, and it's super discouraging sometimes. But that doesn't mean we give up. I actually, this is a little bit heartbreaking, and of course I won't reveal the, the, the person's name, but I had a, a sit down one time with a pastor, um, a, a very significant pastor, and I was talking to him about my journey and trying to grow with the Holy Spirit and gifts and things like that. And he said, yeah, I tried that. 
and, and his idea was, I gave God two years. And that's not real. Okay, do you understand there's a great temptation to feel like that? Because you have ups and downs. And it's this whole idea where you're super fired up and then you're super discouraged. And then one day you're like, woo, God's right here. And the next day, where are you, God? You know, it's that kind of stuff. We're kind of all over the map when we're growing up. So we got to weather the ups and downs. We got to follow the seasons of growth. There's disappointment, there's heartbreak, there's a learning curve. It's like learning a new language, right? When you're learning a new language, it's like you think you got a grip and then you talk to somebody who can really tell the language. You're like, I haven't even done anything. Man, this is terrible. But trying to keep your passion level up during all the swings and trying to shield the lure of power and hype, right? Because if you start having God move in your life, it's super addictive. You're like, man, I need another shot in the arm. Woo, another conference. Another, and you're just flying around conferences all the time. And the whole time the Lord's going, I'm sorry, what ministry are you doing? I appreciate you're chasing me, right? But I need you to actually do something so I'm going to run faster and you won't be able to keep up, right? We got a brace for being misunderstood and misunderstanding, Right? We gotta choose to be transparent and willing. We gotta realize that we have to fight the performance-oriented, answers-driven, lack of patience culture within our own hearts, yeah? We gotta slow down enough to listen and wait on the Lord. We gotta have the intimacy with God before we move out. We need to be vulnerable. We need to give up our agenda. We need to not fall into formula-based thinking I did it right this one time and then somebody got healed so I gotta wear those same socks and underwear next time, <laughs> right? And don't assume you automatically know what other people need. Please listen. Because sometimes we get all on our little high horse and we're all fired up to do the supernatural and we're like, you need healing! And they didn't even ask us for healing. We're like, we're gonna heal your looks because you're unattractive, you know, or something like that. And they're just like, oh, I thought I was fine until you said something. <laughs> Sometimes things moving slowly is God's grace, yeah. right? Because if he wants you to really grow, he doesn't want you to just spring up and burn out. So sometimes he gives you a little bit, and then he calls quiet on you. You're like, Gah! I was all fired up. Now I'm like sad, right? There's always risk in growing, and you got to leave it into the Lord's hands. And once again, please don't compare with other people. It's not appropriate. The other thing is remember that supernatural is given to minister to other people. It's not for you to sit and do magic in your own room, right? God's in charge, therefore you're going to hear no a lot. God, I really want that. No. Oh, God, it would be cool. No. We got to navigate all the newbies, do we not? When somebody is new, it's kind of like when they first get saved and you go, ooh. Every time somebody is new saved, they're just running around blowing stuff up. And you're like, oh, hon, I, I wish you had wisdom. <laughs> Understand that we're not all on, a, on an even playing field. Some of us are intuitive. Some of us are sensitive. Some of us are this. Some of us are that. We're not all on the same playing field. And sometimes God gifts people that are a little bit different. And that's okay. Odd doesn't mean bad. Shall we go to number nine? 
Okay, good. Okay, fantastic. I didn't know if you were still with me or not. I, I looked out and everyone was sleeping, so I... We're on number nine. Nine, yeah, nine. Okay, ready? Number nine, core value that I just made up. Number nine, scripture trumps experience. Scripture trumps experience. Number 10, we don't bow to fear. There's no reason to be afraid. Do not allow fear to dictate your experiences with God. Because if you always bow to fear, you're going to be in a little corner somewhere and having no experience with your Lord, and you're going to live a very dry Christian life. Sometimes there needs to be a boldness and a courage. Don't bow to fear. Number 11, call it out, but don't over-spiritualize. Once again, not everything has to have a Christian title to it. Not everything has to be, oh my gosh, you see what happened? Like, I, I put water in the freezer and it turned to ice. God is here. And he's like, uh, okay, I am here, but I don't think I just made the ice. I think that's kind of how it goes. That sometimes we really kind of overhype everything. That, in my mind, for those of us that are analytical, that is actually hard on our faith. Please don't do that. Um, number 12, cautious but not resistant. Cautious but not resistant. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not shut down prophecies. But you're allowed to be cautious. You're allowed to say, ooh, I don't know if that's godly. You're allowed to walk in hesitant. It's okay. It's okay, but just don't resist the Lord. Number 13, order but not quenching. Order but not quenching. Once again, don't quench the spirit, but we are always going to try to have whatever order God allows us to have. Sometimes in a revival, it's got to get crazy. Okay, cool. But that doesn't mean everything goes crazy. We still have a degree of order. It's controlled chaos, right? Number 14, rhythms beyond balance. Rhythms beyond balance. In other words, there are certain seasons when we need to lean more into developing or operating in the supernatural and times when we hardly talk about it. We're flowing with the spirit and the life of the body of Christ. That doesn't mean we don't value it or that we value it too much. Balance is a misnomer. It's not possible. It should be a flow back and forth on a pendulum as needed. We aren't setting out to be perfectly 50-50 supernatural natural. That's not how we're designing it. We're just flowing with what the Lord has. Sometimes we lean into it to grow. Sometimes we back off and we grow in another area. Okay? So as far as a church where people are like, oh, they're all focusing on the spiritual gifts, and all the sheep move over here. And then they're like, oh, they're too dry, and they all move over here. Right? Either you're in a church, just stay in the church and grow with the Lord. We're trying to grow up in all areas, not just one. Does that make sense? Okay, number 15, humility always. Humility always. Any arrogance in the area of supernatural is disastrous. It's God's power. What are you cocky about? <laughs> you understand? I mean, it's kind of foolishness. Always humility. That's just how we walk in. It's how we operate. If someone comes in and they say, Pastor, I really need you to pray for me. Uh, I, I have a tumor, and I really need you to, to pray over that. I don't walk in and go, it's good that you called. Right? I don't, it's nothing like that. I'm going to walk in, and I'm just going to pray. Remember, quietly carry power. That's how it works. We don't need to be flash and flare. All right. Number 16, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. In other words, we believe in accountability at Bridgeway. Explaining things. We are a teaching and training church, so explanation is demanded a bit more than it would be in another church. 
It's just our style. That doesn't mean that you have to understand what happened or know why, only that you're able to articulate what happened and your part in it. God doesn't have to answer anyone, but people do, right? With great power comes great responsibility, right? We've all heard that, right? From Frodo or whatever the, I don't remember what his name was. And the bottom line on all this whole accountability thing is that there's a way to weed the bad guys, and part of that is accountability. That if you're doing something, just like when I preach, you're able to ask, why did you use that scripture? If, you, if I'm preaching and I'm using my gifts, you can ask me questions about it. You're allowed to hold me accountable. I should be able to do the same thing with you. Why did you pray like that? Why did you operate in that type of supernatural fashion? Why were you yelling and screaming and choking that person? Things like that. <laughs> so it needs to begin with your personal accountability, does it not? Where you are examining yourself. In other words, personal filtering, right? Where you're looking and going, does that seem wise? Is that a good idea? I'm going to lean into the Lord here. Oh, that was just, you're growing, right? But you got to look at that first. And we're always Bereans. We're always going back and checking against the Word of God and checking against the Word of God and checking against the Word of God. But that doesn't stop us. It only propels us further because in the Word of God is the supernatural. All right, praise the Lord. That's good. And you need to be under the leadership of the church, right? Let's say you are operating in a crazy cool gift, but it's a little chaotic for us. We're allowed to say, take it outside. You understand? Now, we're going to try not to do that. Uh, because we don't want to quash the spirit, but we are the authority here. We're responsible for the body. You may be operating in a way that our body isn't ready for, and so it's not that you're doing it wrong, it's that we can't catch up with you. So we got to get you to mellow it out, right? If you're in there going, man, I see angels everywhere, and you're just running and hitting people. Okay, at some point, at some point, we need to mellow you out. Stop running, right? You don't get to do that in here. But I see angels. Okay, I appreciate you seeing angels everywhere. You can see them everywhere from your seat. Okay, that'd be great. <laughs> Just get a good view. Number 17. Number 17, education, not ignorance. Education, not ignorance. Whether you desire to operate heavily in the supernatural or not, you need to know the truth in this area. We all need to know facts and information and insights so that we can not only help others understand, that we can instruct also when necessary. We are not in favor of, I don't know, I don't think about it much. That's fine for personal experiences, what only affects you, but not very much for corporate experience, what affects others. So you need to be educated. Well, I don't really, this isn't really my, my, my genre. This isn't really my get. Yeah, but you're a Christian. So other people are going to go, what do you think of it? And you go, I don't know, I don't like that stuff. You just sowed seeds of discord. Please don't do that. You're supposed to go, I haven't, you know what? I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Or you go, hey, I can just tell you what I've learned. I don't operate it in myself, but I can tell you there's a couple other people you may want to talk to. Now, that is helpful. We are a discipleship environment, right? So we're trying to educate. We need to over-communicate and not assume everybody knows what's going on. Because here's the funny thing. Once you walk in this stuff, it becomes super normal. And you don't even realize how weird you are. 
man, I, I remember I went to uh, this first prayer retreat and I went with a total like conservative pastor mindset. Like I was thinking of all my buddies that are like cessationists and I was like, what if they came to this? And I was like horrified. I was like, oh my gosh, that guy was like all speaking in tongues, all loud and quiet and weird and in the corner. And then I was like, oh, what about this? You guys, now I go to the same exact prayer retreat, and I'm like, come on, people, let's get going. Let's do this, right? You know, I mean, it's, I don't even realize how odd it is. So once again, just trying to keep a mindset that other people around you may not be where you're at, okay? And so the idea of just understanding, all right, we just need to be educated and maybe kind to everybody else, watching our words, making sure our theology is solid, stuff like that. And then also... Please grow in this from a healthy identity in Jesus and not a performance-based concept, right? This whole idea, I'm going to go out and be awesome for the Lord. No, you are awesome in the Lord because of what he did. Operate from the inside out, not from the outside in. We're not trying to be something special. You are something special, right? So we always want to be healthy identity. Number 18, faith, not force. Faith, not force. There's a big difference between biblical faith and trying to harness a force or forcing things to drum them up to happen. Force leads to performance-centered activity. Faith leans on the Lord and on his person alone. Faith, not force. In other words, what's the opposite? Doubt and cynicism. We do not need to be doubt and cynicism, people. That's a horrible way to live. Please don't do that. We need to be faith, not force that sometimes we get into this idea of, okay, I gotta kind of, zone, I gotta get in the zone and I'm gonna just like press, you know, I'm gonna do the things in the spirit. And you start almost operating as if you're a magician. That was condemned in the Old Testament. You're not using magic in black arts and forces. You're talking to your heavenly father, you're engaging with the Holy Spirit and, his, and the son Jesus Christ. That's who you're talking to. So just talk with him and let him move through us, right? And keep a teachable heart, right? Open mind. Number 19. Number 19. Building up, not tearing down. Building up, not tearing down. We are given the manifestations of the Holy Spirit for the common good, for the building up of the body of Christ. If your personal ministry is tearing things down, if it is dividing people, if it is harming other people, it's not in alignment with Bridgeway's core values, even if it is a legitimate and real element of the greater kingdom. I'm just telling you how we need to roll things here at Bridgeway. You're building up the body. You're not tearing down the body. Right? Your gifts aren't really for you. They're for the building up of the body. Right? You carry a God label every time you use your gifts. You carry a God label every time you operate in the supernatural. Let's be wise on that. And be wise on who can handle what and err on the side of caution, right? So when you go into any environment, you want to operate in the Holy Spirit. We always are sensitive to the leadership and what they would like to do. I have a, a, a friend, Krista Proctor. She operates a lot in the supernatural. She's one of the senior pastors. As a matter of fact, our last weekend is tonight at Impact because they're going to do City Pastors Fellowship full-time. And she said, every time I go into a church, doesn't matter how much supernatural I operate in, I always check in with leadership and I find out what do they desire, what do they want, and how do I fit into that mantle. She said, that is our responsibility. I love that. 
This is power, right? So good. Number 20, the giver, not the gift. The giver, not the gift. We worship God, we don't worship gifts. We worship God, we don't worship the supernatural, right? Isn't that true? We got to make sure that we focus our attention on the one true God. He's the giver. The other stuff is an outflowing, but wouldn't you rather have Jesus even if you didn't have any amazing power? I just want my Jesus. He's enough, right? And then finally, the last one, number 21, learn from all glory for one. Learn from all glory for one. What does that mean? We are interested in God getting the glory alone. We need to learn from all sorts of ministries, learn from all sorts of people, learn from all sorts of churches, but we are following the Lord and glorifying Him only. Therefore, we need to give respect and honor to great truths and insights we get from people, and we give them our respect. We cite their great contributions, but when it comes down to who did it, the who that deserves the glory is always God. Y'all, here's something that I've had to tiptoe through and walk through for a number of years in this process, is I have to always have to be careful on who I cite where I got information from, because in today's world, we like to stereotype everything. And if I cite one thing that I learned from somebody, they assume I automatically agree and authorize the entire ministry. So I'm always having to hide my sources. Isn't that kind of weird? Uh, now, I'm trying to be cautious, but it's sad that we live in an environment where we can't say, I took this piece and it was good, as opposed to saying, oh, you must endorse every... I don't endorse everything. There is no church out there I fully endorse. Otherwise, I'd probably work there, right? I work here, and so I really only feel fully safe here, and so I can trust here because we're building it together. But everyone else, there's a bit of uh, assessment. So I'm allowed to be able to say, I read this book, and it really blessed me there in chapter three. I think chapter five and six are totally bogus. But you need to be wise enough to put a filter on, right? The problem is, if I just hand you a book and I say, this was awesome with no explanation, you're going to assume I endorse the whole book. So not only do we need to give some grace for each other, but we need to wisely discern and tell people, I'm only looking at chapter three, right? So that way we're not purporting weird, bizarre stuff. That's not good. All right, so let's close this out, right? What do we do now? What, are we, what am I expecting from all of us? Well, here's the interesting thing. For those of you that have been to four or more of these series, can you just raise your hand? Four or more of the series. Okay, a, a huge amount of you. All right. Here's what I would love. I would love for all of you, and even those that have just joined us, I would love to say, as you look around, think about how many people we have in this room, right? Let's say there's a couple hundred, right? Do you understand that if a couple hundred people in Bridgeway or in our community utilize these core values to chase after the Lord and be healthy and strong and whole, what a difference it would make in our region. What if it was just us? What if it was just us going, man, I'm all into the Lord, and you know what? I'm totally anchored in the Word, but I'm all passionate about moving in whatever gifts He's given me, and, 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 and I'm going to pray like crazy, and I'm going to... 
I wish you would just do that. Uh, that's really where we go from here. I don't have any expectations that now suddenly you're going to go run off and create some school of prophecy and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for normal Christians. I'm just looking for people that are balanced. I'm looking for folks that are excited about Jesus but grounded in the Word. This is what I'm looking for. And if we can do that, how awesome would that be? And maybe it can start a healthy movement here where no one has to look back and go, oh, that's all garbage. I wish that maybe people could say, listen, they're so humble. I know it's God. I know God's moving. They're not getting in his way. They all seem to move with this quiet, gentle spirit, and the Holy Spirit just hits hard. I love that, right? But I also understand that we're all different. It's okay. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to pray for you, right? Isn't that how we should close? Uh, is that I'm going to pray for you, um, and I'm only praying for you not as if I'm higher or greater, but I'm going to utilize the office of being your pastor. That's what I'm going to operate off of the authority that God's given me in an office, that I would pray blessing over you, encouragement over you, power over you from the Lord. That's what I want. So if you have a desire for that, now, of course, if you are not fully comfortable with all this stuff, you're probably gonna be sitting there going, not me, Lord, not me, Lord, not me, Lord, right? Okay, that's all right, it's all right. We can talk more. But if you have an open heart, if you feel like, yes, God, I want more of you, then I just want you to be in that posture in your heart to say, God, how about tonight? How about tonight we start a new fire? Yeah? Amen. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you have called me out to sit in an office of overseer over your precious, powerful children. In the spirit of humility, knowing I am one of equals, I ask that you would rain down upon us. That, Holy Spirit, you're in our hearts, that you would rise up within us. That the hand of God would come upon us. That, Spirit, you would blow through us and that you would begin to quicken all the way across this place. Begin to fan into flame those gifts that you gave us. That, Lord, we would begin to see new things, operate in new ways. That our prayers would go to a deeper place. That we would have more confidence and authority and power to fight the enemy and advance the kingdom of God. I pray, God, that you would allow all those signs and wonders that you want your people to do to operate through the right people here in the right way. That, Lord, that when we come together as a family, we are well representing you. That, Lord, we, one of us don't need to have everything. We don't need to have the giant in the room. We just need to be your people, jars of clay, filled with the Spirit of God, knowing that when we come together, there is power here. 
So Lord, I'm just asking for an anointing to fall upon everyone here, everyone that has a soft heart, that is childlike faith, that is saying, yes, God, I want more of you. I want, Lord, for you to move through me. I want to be able to touch people and heal them in the name of Jesus. That I want to be able to speak for you, God, and to hear your voice clearly. That, God, I want to be able to see miracles in our midst. That, Lord, I want to be able to be the one that can help in a powerful way to be an administrator for the kingdom of God, to be able to speak in other tongues as necessary, to be able to interpret, to be able to have wisdom, to be able to teach and preach, to be able to have all the anointing that you have. God, you know who needs what. You need to know what situation needs what. You're the wise and magnificent creator and sustainer. So we trust you, but we have showed up to seek you. It's why we keep coming, because we've heard the whispers that you're here. And if you're here, there's nowhere else we want to be. So God, if you want to launch a revival, we're saying yes, Lord. If you want to just start a quickening in our spirits individually that we might be just more like you, we say yes, God. If you are saying, I just want my people to pray and draw near to me, we are saying, yes, God. That, God, we are weary of a dry Christianity, and we want more of your movement in our midst. Lord, may it begin with us. We don't need to put that pressure on anybody else. We're just saying, right here, right now, would you anoint us and pour that oil of your spirit all over our hearts. Anoint our hands to hug to touch those that need healing. Anoint our eyes to see. Anoint our ears to hear. Anoint our lips to speak. Anoint our feet to walk in the right ways into divine appointments. Anoint our heart to beat with the cares and concerns of the people around us. Anoint our shoulders to be able to carry the burdens of one another. Oh God, move upon your people. We love you and we trust you. May all of us be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful evening.